We're getting into the last message of this series on Back to the Basics. Yesterday, uh, last week and today, we're talking about serving. Last week, I talked about how um, this lie, the lie of upward mobility, um, can, can trap us and keep us from serving God. If we are constantly trying to move upward in our careers, in our finances, in the type of place and neighborhood that we live in, and there's this constant discontent with where we are, it hinders our ability to actually serve God, to focus on Him, and to maybe even realize that God may have assigned us where we are to be the salt and the light of Christ in our workplace, where we live, um, amongst the friends that we have. And if we break through that lie of upward mobility, we can experience a freedom to actually be able to serve God where we are. This week is the second uh, message on serving, and it's going to be from Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, as we close out this series on Back to the Basics. Let me read this passage first. It says, Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Father, we just pray, Lord, that you would grant us insight into your word this morning. And Lord, may it um, pierce to the deepest place in our heart, in our souls, Lord God. And help us, prepare us to be able to live as living sacrifices before you. We invite your spirit to come and to fill this place in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, this passage, uh, verses 1 through 6, there's a lot going on here. Let me go back here to verse 4. It says that we as Christians, if you are a Christian, if you have given your life to Jesus Christ, if you have believed that he is God and that he died on the cross for your sins, and that the only way to experience forgiveness of your sin and to be restored in your relationship with God is by believing and receiving his son, then we have been forgiven and we are in a new relationship with God. 
And, and the purpose of this relationship, the way that we're supposed to live in this relationship, is that we are to bear fruit for God. It's not about believing in God and just having it remain as head knowledge, but we, in this new relationship with God that we have as Christians, we are to bear fruit for God. What is that fruit? What kind of fruit? Apples, oranges, mangoes, bananas? No, it's the fruit of the Spirit that the Bible talks about. Bam! Bam! <laughs> Maybe this battery this week. Let's go to the next slide here. How about manually? Next slide. Okay. Galatians 5. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. We are called by God to be in relationship with him, bearing fruit, the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience. The fruit that Paul talks about here in the book of Galatians this is the way that we are now to live. We are to be filled. And we're just supposed to be like this tree just producing all sorts of fruit. I don't know if you, have anybody ever heard of a mixed fruit, uh, a fruit salad tree? These crazy, crazy inventions where scientists spliced and diced trees so that you have one tree that grows like three or four different kinds of fruits. Crazy stuff, right? We're, we're supposed to be like this kind of fruit salad tree for the Lord, producing fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, all sorts of different fruit in our lives. That's how we're supposed to be living as Christians. Paul also said in 1 Corinthians that we are to be always abounding in the work of the Lord. Abounding. That means our life is overflowing with things that we do for God with sharing the gospel with other people, with, with serving others and not thinking about ourselves only, but thinking about others, of being sacrificial with our time, with our money, with our energy, in loving our neighbors and those around us. We're supposed to be filled with an abounding in work of the Lord. That is the picture of Christian life that the Bible paints here. That's what our lives are supposed to look like. Now, this is what our lives looked like before we came to know Christ. Paul talks about that in verse 5 here. Before we came to know Christ, before we put our faith in him, and we were not yet bearing the fruit of the Spirit because we did not have the Holy Spirit, we were bearing fruit for death. That's what we were bearing. Fruit for death. We were living in disobedience to God, in rebellion, in sin. We were putting ourselves before our neighbors, before other people. We were tight-fisted with our time, our money, our energy. We thought of ourselves and we lived for ourselves. That is the fruit of death. Now, Paul says here something really funny and interesting. He says, our sinful passions aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Why were we bearing fruit for death? What was happening? Paul here, he, he talks about the nation of Israel in the Old Testament 
when they were still living under the Mosaic law, under the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant. And and what was happening there? Paul says there that before we knew Christ, our sinful passions, the sinful nature that we had, it was aroused by the law. What does Paul mean by that? What Paul is saying is that when the Israelites received the law in the Old Testament, once they got the law, they suddenly started not wanting to keep the law. Their sinful nature got aroused to rebel against the law. Paul, what are you saying? What do you mean by that? What he's basically saying is, when somebody tells you to do something, our sinful nature, we don't want to do it. When somebody tells you you shouldn't do something, oftentimes we're like, no, I'm going to do that. Who are you to tell me not to do that? Any of you like that? You know, it's just kind of like when somebody tells you to do something, you just don't want to do it. The more they tell you to do it, the more you don't want to do it. But all they got to do to get you to do it is tell you not to do it, right? And then you're like, what? Can't tell me what not to do. I'm going to go do that thing. Now, Paul is explaining theologically what was happening in our relationship with God, particularly in the Old Testament. Our sinful nature, by nature, rebels against God and doesn't want to be told what to do. This is why when God gave the Israelites the law, what did they do in their sinful nature? They broke the law again and again and again. Because by nature, we rebel against God. In the next few verses, I'm just going to read over this briefly because it's related Of Romans 7, verses 7 through 12, right after we read today, Paul explains this more. He says, what what then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For what I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing the opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Now, there's a lot going on here. What is, what is Paul saying? Paul's saying, you know, we may say, what shall we say then? The law is sin? Now, if, if God, when he gave the Old Testament law, it actually resulted in people wanting to rebel against it, then is the law bad? Is it a bad thing? No. Paul's saying, no, the law is not bad. The law is holy. The law teaches us what covetousness is. The the, the law teaches us what lying is. The law teaches us what stealing is, what's right and what's wrong. But when we have this good, holy law, our sinful nature just wants to rebel against it because we don't want God to tell us what to do. 
That is the human condition. We want to be God. We don't want to submit to God. We don't want to serve a king. We want to be our own king. We want to rebel against God. That's what Paul is explaining here. The law is good. But when our sinful nature saw the law, it said, aha, there's my chance. Here's my chance to stick it to God. Oh, I'm going to show him. You tell me not to do this, not to do that, not to do that. I'm going to do this, do that, do that. You tell me to do this, this, and this. I'm not going to do that, not going to do that, not going to do that. This is my chance to show you, God, who is in charge. That's what Paul is saying the sinful nature does. And and we see it in the very beginning in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve, when they were tempted to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now think about this. God said, don't eat from this tree. One tree in this garden of how many trees? Hundreds? Thousands? Trees upon trees upon trees with the mangoes, with the bananas, with the pomegranates, with whatever you want, fruit upon fruit upon fruit, everywhere, all that you can eat. Like, you can't eat it fast enough. You'll never run out. You'll never run out of this variety of delicious fruit. No sin in the world yet. That fruit's got to be amazing. Like, mangoes better than mangoes from Mexico. Like, mangoes from the Garden of Eden. No fruit gets better than this. But then the serpent came and said, you should eat from this tree. And they did it. Why? What did the serpent say? When you eat it, you'll be like God. God, listen, Adam and Eve, he's holding out on you. He doesn't want you to eat this because he doesn't want you to be like him. He wants to keep you down. He was playing to the same thing. And what did Adam and Eve do? I want to be like God. I want that knowledge. I'm going to take that fruit. I'm going to eat that fruit. And sin entered into the world. Just one tree. Don't eat from this one tree. But no, I'm going to eat from it. Because you're not the boss of me. And I'm going to be like you. That's what the old sinful nature wants and does. We produced the fruit of death, of rebellion, of disobedience, of waywardness, of being our own kings and our own gods. But now as Christians, God calls us to bear the fruit of the Spirit instead. Paul, in verse 6 that we read, said this, But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. Paul is saying, now that we are in Christ, we serve in a totally new way. We serve God in a new way. Not like in the Old Testament way, where these people, they were quote-unquote, keeping the law, but they were breaking it every chance they had. They were legalistically keeping the law. Like Jesus said, these Pharisees, they tithe one-tenth of the 
mint and the dill and the herbs in their garden. But they neglect the weightier matters of the law. That's what they ended up doing with it. That was the old way of serving, of this legalism that really actually was a rebellion against God, and which is why the people who seemed like they kept the law the best, the Pharisees, were instrumental in killing Jesus. But now we serve in the new way of the Spirit. We serve in a different way that bears fruit for God. But brothers and sisters... The reality is, and, and this, is, this is where some application begins to come in, because you may say, well, if that was the old me bearing fruit for death, now I'm a Christian. Now I bear the fruit of the Spirit. Case closed. What else is there to talk about? The reality is that all of us as believers, even though we have Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit within us, we still struggle with sin. We still have this thing that the Bible says, it calls the old man that is within us, the sinful nature that is still there that we need to resist and fight against on a daily basis. One of the greatest illustrations of this that I know of is from World War II, from D-Day, um, Operation Overlord, the invasion of Normandy. You know, if you've seen Saving Private Ryan, it's an amazing reenactment. Well, I wasn't there, so I wouldn't know, but it looks amazing to me, of this invasion of the, the beaches of Normandy, France, by the Allied forces during World War II against Hitler's German forces, his Axis powers. And this, this battle was crazy on the beaches there in Normandy, France. And the reality was, no matter how many people died there, and it was a crazy battle, this battle secured the victory for the Allied forces, this battle. Once they took this beachhead in Normandy, and it was a crazy fight, so many people died, but once they took this beach, the war was essentially over. Why? Because this became a landing point, a logistics point, where the Allied forces just started pouring in thousands and thousands and thousands of troops and tanks and howitzers and vehicles and supply, you know, supply trucks and, and food and munitions and everything into Europe to fight Hitler. Uh, war historians say that once the battle of D-Day was won. The war was essentially over. It was only a matter of time. Hitler was broken. But when you look at the war, after D-Day, more people died in the fighting than up until that point. More people died after this invasion than leading up to it in the war, because there was still this crazy fight to fight in Europe from city to city and town to town until finally the war was won. The war was already guaranteed, the victory was already guaranteed once they took this beach, but there was still a long battle to fight until 
finally the war would be ended. This is a great picture of Christian life. Brothers and sisters, when Christ died upon the cross, and when you put your faith in him, your sins were forgiven once and for all. The power of Satan over you was broken. It was cracked in half. And and you know where you will be. You will be with God in heaven for eternity. Your future is guaranteed. You know where you will be. I know where I will be. We will be with God forever. But the life from the moment you believe in Jesus until Jesus returns is a life filled with battle. Because the enemy will still be fighting. He will still try to, he will still try to tempt you. He will try to make you lukewarm. He will try to knock you off the path. He will try to lie to you with the lie of upward mobility. He will try to do everything that he can in order to render you ineffective in your relationship with God. There is still an ongoing battle within us. This is why, and this is the application I'm getting to for today. This is why I believe that what we experience, this fruit for God that we are supposed to experience, so often still becomes fruit for death. Fruit for God that we're supposed to be producing still results in fruit for death. We're supposed to serve God in this new way, Paul said. Serve him in this new way. What way? What's the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is love, Galatians says. That's the greatest fruit of the Spirit. We're supposed to be serving God in this way with love, with a love that flows out of our heart. That's how we're supposed to be serving God. But instead, we still find ourselves serving according to the old letter of the law, with this legalism, with this bitterness, with this feeling, oh God, do I really need to do those things for you? Sometimes the fruit that we're supposed to be producing is not really that good. You know, when we moved into our house, where we live here in the Bay Area, I got really excited because there was an orange tree in my backyard. I got so excited. I said, wow, I grew up in New York City, lived in Manhattan. Ain't no fruit trees. You go to the supermarket to get fruit. Now I have an orange tree in my backyard. I said, this is great. Let's make some, f- make some fruit. I'm such a city slicker. Let's <laughs> grow some oranges. We're gonna, we, this tree had all these oranges on it. Wow, this is going to be awesome. We can make orange juice. We never need to buy oranges at the supermarket again. I can bring oranges to church and share them with all of you. So you're wondering, where are those oranges, Ulysses? You never shared any oranges with me. Well, I, well, I, I said, this is great. So I said, let me prune this tree. I'm going to prune the tree so that oranges can grow better. Let me water this tree. And make sure it has all the water that it needs and the sunlight that it needs. Let me fertilize this tree. So I would put fertilizer around it and rake it into the ground and water it in. I was so excited. Oh, we're going to have all these oranges. And then one day I said, let me find out what kind of oranges these are. So I download this app, um, Plant Snap, I think. It's not a commercial. It's supposed to be able able to identify things. 
I'm so excited. Is it a Valencia orange? Is it a Florida navel orange or whatever they're called? What kind of orange is it? And I take out my phone, I'm scanning this tree, and it comes back and it says, your tree is a bitter orange tree. I said, bitter orange tree. What kind of tree is that? It's a, also known as a Seville or Seville. I don't know what you call it. Seville orange tree. I looked it up and it said, this is a bitter orange tree, not good for eating. <laughs> it's bitter. And if you want, you could take the rind, the, the, the skin, and you can make marmalade out of it. Do I look like a guy who makes marmalade in my spare time? No, I want juice. I want to eat an orange. But all that work I put into this tree to produce this fruit actually produces bitter fruit, bitter oranges. And, you know, brothers and sisters, I, I feel like that's how some of us are. We, we know what the Bible says, produce fruit for God, serve God, fruit of the Spirit, love people, sacrifice, give of your time, energy, money, put the needs of others ahead of yourself, serve, serve in the church, serve in the neighborhood, serve your spouse, serve your children. The Bible says that we're supposed to bear fruit like this, but sometimes, why is it? Maybe even this morning, maybe even right now, when you think about serving God, there is a sense of bitterness within you. Maybe there's a sense of just this dry obligation, like my oranges are dry, they are, they don't produce much fruit, not, not much juice in these. There's a dry sense of obligation Maybe there's even a sense of revulsion. If somebody asks you to serve the Lord in some way, it triggers something. Like, oh, no, no, I don't want to do that. I remember years ago when I was um, serving in a ministry, when I was ministering to uh, college students, I remember at one point I was so busy. I was doing so much ministry. And I looked around at the other people around me, the other people who are serving God, and I felt like nobody's doing anything except me. <laughs> I'm the only one who's serving. And I remember I wrote this email to some other people, and I said, I feel like, why am I the only one doing all this stuff, serving, and, everything? and it was a bitter email. And I look back, I look back at that time, I wasn't the only one doing anything. I wasn't the only one serving. But so much of what I was doing, the fruit that I was producing, was bitter. It was bitter fruit. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's how you feel when you think about serving God. That's the reaction that you have. Look, 
Paul, when he served, he suffered tremendously. I'm not going to read this all, but 2 Corinthians 11, he talks about all the things that he went through. Being lashed 39 times so that the skin was falling off his back. Beaten with rods, stoned, shipwrecked, constantly in danger. Paul went through this crazy suffering. But at the end of the day, he wasn't bitter when he was serving God. It wasn't legalistic. This is the guy who said the fruit of the Spirit is joy. It's love. That's, that's why we serve. Let me say, well, Paul, you know, that suffering that came to you at the hands of people who persecuted you and things like that, but I'm bitter because when I served, I, I, was, I was betrayed by, by people, by churches. I was in broken churches. I was in abusive systems, and, and I served, and I gave my heart, and, and I did so much for God, but in the end, it was for a man. It was for a woman. It was for a worldly system. It was for somebody's ego. It was for all the wrong reasons, and that's why I don't want to serve anymore. I'm jaded. I'm bitter, and I don't want that anymore. But Paul was no stranger to being disappointed by people. In 2 Timothy, he kind of like, he kind of vents maybe. Maybe Timothy, he's real close with him. It's like his disciple. Maybe he just like lets it out. He's like, man, all those who were in Asia, they turned away from me, Timothy, like Phygelus, Hermogenes. And later he says, Demas, he was in love with the present world. He deserted me. He ran off to Thessalonica. Later he said, at my first defense, nobody came to stand by me when I was being persecuted. Nobody came and supported me. They all left me. But he said what? May it not be charged against them. God, don't hold it against them. Paul was disappointed, betrayed, abandoned by people. People who were supposed to be Christians, his co-workers, his co-laborers in the Lord. But he said, may it not be held against them. It didn't result in this bitterness in the end for him. In 2 Corinthians, Paul said, that in the new covenant, this new covenant is not one of the letter, of the letter of the law, but it's one of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. It kills. Brothers and sisters, this old way of serving God, it kills. This rebellion this legalism, this whatever it is, whatever is going on within your heart, it kills. But the Spirit instead gives life. And I just want to say to you, brothers and sisters, that if, if, you're, if you resonate at all with what I'm saying, if the idea of serving God does not bring life, but it feels like some type of dry duty, 
It feels like something that, that gives you PTSD. It feels like something that is just legalistic. Oh, it's just something I got to check off. And yes, I, you know, I pray. I read my Bible. I serve God in some way. If that's how you feel about it, brothers and sisters, that's killing you slowly. It's killing you. God came to save us from that. And the longer we stay there, the more bitter we'll get until eventually we don't want to do anything and maybe we walk away from the faith entirely. Brothers and sisters, man, you know, (laughs) I am not immune to this just because I'm a pastor. There are times I want to quit. Multiple times. I'm like, God, I don't want to do this anymore. God, I just want to go to coding boot camp like everybody else. And I want to eat free food at work. And I want to take snacks home. That's what I want to do. I don't want to have to care about other people. I don't want to have to think about anyone. I don't want to do this, but I want to do that. That's what I want to do instead. And when I find myself in that place, when this bitterness, this resentment, when I find myself serving God out of legalism, out of duty, I know that I'm in a bad place. And I know that I'm moving towards the letter of the law, towards my old sinful nature, rather than serving in the new way of the Spirit. Is that how you feel when it comes to serving God? Paul said in verse 6, let me read this again. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. I'm coming to a conclusion here, brothers and sisters. Paul, when he says that we've died to that which held us captive, it goes back to the first three verses of this passage. And just to remind us again, what illustration did Paul use? Paul said that if a woman is married to a man, if she goes and says to another man, I want to live with you. I want you to be my husband. And she goes and she moves in with him and lives with him. That's called adultery. You can't do that. That's wrong. You're married to this man. You can't live him and go and hang out with this man and live with him. That's called adultery. But, however, if your husband dies, then you can go and marry somebody else. And you're no longer an adulteress. If me and my relationship with Christine, if, God forbid, Christine were to go and be with another man now, which she would never do, that would be called adultery. You can't do that. Now, if I died, don't get any funny ideas. If I died, then she went to be with another man. That's not sin. That's remarriage. That's okay. She could be remarried. It won't be sin, but I will haunt her from the grave. 
But that's different. It's not sin. No, it's okay. You can remarry, really. It's okay. It's on. You can remarry. Could we? Nobody's married in heaven. <laughs> Kevin and Juliana are like, what? <laughs> Paul says that, you know, when that first man died, you got set free. You're no longer in that relationship. And you could be married to somebody else. Paul uses that illustration to talk about what happened to us when we became Christian. He says, we were in a bad relationship before. A really bad relationship. It was called the law. It was a relationship to the world. It was one in which we said, I will be king. I will be God. We were in a bad relationship before. But because we have died, and not only us, but Jesus died upon the cross, and because we are in Christ through his death, we have died to the law so that now we can be alive and be in a new relationship with God that is completely different from what was before. Completely different. Brothers and sisters, people in this world will fake their death in order to get out of the obligations that are on them. Maybe they don't want to pay their taxes. They fake their death. Maybe the mafia is after them. They fake their death. Maybe they just got like a lot of pressure from their family or friends. They fake their death because if you're dead, (laughs) nobody can come after you for anything. It's done. It's done. Now that's fake. And if they know you're still alive, you're in trouble. But Paul says that in Christ, we have actually died. Our old selves have died. And now we are in this new relationship with Christ and we serve God in the new way, in a new relationship of joy and of love and of one that is filled with the Holy Spirit. We went from a really bad relationship where serving was a drab because we served ourselves to one of love that overflows and abounds in good works to God because we are now married to Christ. You know, when you're in a bad relationship, you don't want to do anything. Maybe you don't like your boss. Work is a drab. You don't want to go in. It's bad. Everything's an obligation. Everything is a duty. But when you are in a relationship of love, everything changes. When Christine and I, when we were dating... And we, I was in Philadelphia going to seminary. She was in New York living in Manhattan. If That's like 99 miles away. But if, if I knew I had a chance to hang out with her for maybe even a few hours, man, I would, I, would, I would do it. I would hop in my car, drive those two hours into the city. Why? Because I was so in love with her. No amount of work, no amount of money, no amount of anything was too much because it was a relationship of love. I remember one time I, I really stuck my foot in my mouth. I offended her. I, I hurt her feelings. I was like, oh my gosh, I've hurt the woman of my dreams. So I, was, I wanted to apologize to her. So I went to this florist, this hipster florist in Soho to buy this flower, these flowers for her. I was a poor seminarian. I walked into this place and I saw this square short square glass vase with like 
colorful stones or rocks in it and these roses that filled every inch of that square like a wedding type arrangement type thing. And I was like, how much is that? She said, $200. This was like 2001 or something, right? This, this is back when $200 was like $600 now. <laughs> and I said, I'll take it. $200. That was a huge amount of money for me. But it felt like pennies. Felt like, like water. Nothing. Because I would do anything for her. And I gave her these flowers to say, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? And she forgave me. And everything was good. A week later, or something like that, I went to visit her at her place, and I saw that glass vase. I thought that she would kind of keep it sentimentally, even if the flowers had died, and do something nice with it. You know, maybe fold up paper stars and fill it with paper stars or something like that, you know, rainbow-colored things. But she used it as a change holder, like pennies and stuff like that. I was a little hurt by that, but that's all right. That's okay. Didn't, didn't bother me too much. And I would buy another $200 bouquet for her. Money didn't matter. Driving 99 miles from Philly didn't matter. Doing anything to serve her didn't matter because it was a relationship. It was a new relationship that was founded in love. In love. Paul says that we serve God in a new way now, in the Spirit. Not in that old way of the written code, of legalism, of dry duty and obligation. That's not what he has called us into. And if you are in Christ, if you are a Christian, if you have the Holy Spirit within you, then what Ezekiel said, what God said through him has happened to you, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Why? Because you have a new heart. You have a new heart. And you can be a person that serves God out of love. You overflow with love to God because of the spirit that is within you. I close with this. John Piper, he put it so well. He said, in other words, the decisive thing about the law will no longer be that it is a demand from the outside, but it will be a desire from the inside. Brothers and sisters, um, that's it. I am, I'm not here this morning to, to ask you to go serve. I'm not asking you to sign up for anything, for a team or a ministry, to do this or do that. That's not my heart. That's not the point that I want to make this morning. What I do want to challenge you with, though, is this. What is your relationship with God like right now? Do you serve him out of the heart in the new way of the spirit as a desire that wells up from within you? Or is there something within you that is still 
giving in to that flesh. And serving is about an outward demand that results in legalism, bitterness, and emptiness. Maybe the hurt that you've experienced from people, maybe from brokenness within churches, maybe from somebody who's abandoned you, that hurt can be real. But I know what's more real than that is when you bring your heart to God, the Holy Spirit can come in this new relationship with Jesus. He can fill you and remind you of that first love. And when we serve in that way, we serve with longevity, we serve with joy, and we serve with love. Let's stand, let's pray, and let's worship God now as I invite the worship team up here.